Welcome to Upon This Rock. I'm Devin Lyles, and I want to welcome you to Western New York's first ministry-oriented podcast. Uh, there's lots of podcasts out there dealing with people's churches, dealing with their blogs, but what I want to do with this podcast is try and introduce you to some people in the area that are doing some amazing things in the Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo, and uh, possibly even Southern Tier area. Though it may appear our area is in decline or our churches are struggling, there's some people doing some incredible things and there's so many opportunities for ministry out there. So I'm hoping that through this podcast I'll be able to introduce you to some exciting people, maybe some new ideas, and help you bridge some new connections. Thanks for listening. Okay, so we're going to try and have our first podcast. We're at Roberts Wesleyan College down in this pretty unique little sound room, so we want to thank Roberts Wesleyan College for letting us in here. And now I'm here with Joshua and I gotta figure out how to say your last name right. You wanna figure it out or you want me to tell you? I'm hoping you'll tell me. Alright, it's Chiz. Chiz. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. I like that. Good Polish so, name. Polish. Okay. Yeah. There we go. There we go. So now I found out about you from JP Anderson. He said that you do some renovating of churches or that you're renovating a church. We are renovating a church and uh Hopefully I won't be doing too many more <laughs> renovations as far as uh, uh, older churches, but we, we uh, I pastor a church in Auburn and we had a unique opportunity to move from a uh, 1950s kind of uh, rectangle small building to uh, turn of the century uh, beautiful stone old United Methodist Church. and. Uh, uh, it's it needs a lot of work still, and so we are we have moved into it, but we are renovating as as we move along here. Well, as a United Methodist, it's good to know that somebody is getting some use <laughs> out of our old buildings. And that's a big problem that at least that we found in the city of Rochester is that uh, a lot of the city churches. What happened is these were these big grand buildings built by these uh, what at one time were wealthy Kodak churches or something like that. So they're these fantastically huge churches, and then as you know, Kodak and the other large companies move out, the demographics of the area change and now, so they're just kind of rotting and now they're becoming these huge kind of, they're just siphoning off money from the church and they don't, they don't even use half. I mean, some of the churches in the area are thinking about just like boarding off half the church because they don't even use it. Right, right. And they, they, a lot of them become vacant. We see in Syracuse, uh, a lot of that with the Catholic church. Um, but in general, churches are dwindling and, and closing, and I've always loved old churches. I've just, I thought there's yeah. a beauty to them uh, that, that we could not mimic today, and so with this one being available, uh, it just, it seemed like a great opportunity for us. Yeah, I think a lot of times what I always notice is that some of the debates that I always hear, um, you know, in college, you know, you hear people saying, oh, we just need a storefront, let's just rent our building, we don't need the big grand thing, but then you go into New York City and you see like all these fantastic old cathedrals, and you think, you know, there were people who, this was their act of worship, you know, they couldn't give all the money, or they couldn't do that, so they, they gave their skills, and they built these magnificent things, and they, I just have this sneaking suspicion that if they heard that people were, you know, denigrating their work because they thought that it wasn't very worshipful, or that it wasn't honoring to God, that that would just be horrible to them. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, I think, I think there, things shift over time, obviously, and I think you need to know your area too. Yeah. Uh, for us, Auburn is a um, a very traditional church town. They're you know very strong in Catholicism, and you have many young people who have walked away uh, from the church. But but there's an interest in God. There's an interest uh, in in learning more about who He is and what He wants to do in their lives. 
but what we found was for us our facility was was a barrier for mm. for getting people in the door and um why do you think it was a barrier well it, if you if you're talking I, about the 1950s style yeah i mean if you knew the building i don't think you if you see had seen the building i don't think you'd have to ask the question it it um it served its purpose in in its day but it just was not a comfortable building oh, okay. to walk into uh, uh there was just an awkwardness to it and um and I, I've been there, it'll be four years next month that I've been pastoring at the church. Hmm. And, um, you know, we knew pretty quickly that that's some, that was going to be on the uh, agenda was, to, was to, to make a move. And I think storefronts have their place uh, depending on the kind of ministry that you're trying to mm -hmm. develop or, or the style of church that you're trying to develop and, and also the, the area that you're, you're yeah. pastoring in. Uh, we have a, a great church that has opened a location and I looked at plenty of storefronts because there, yeah. there weren't churches available. Um, I looked at plenty of storefronts or different options that we could try to renovate and, mm -hmm. and consider. Um, and there's one in, in, in our city that is, has started since, <coughs> since I've been in Auburn and they're doing great. They're doing a great job. But we felt like this would be a unique opportunity to kind of blend that history. Uh, it's a valued building yeah. in the city of Auburn. Uh, people, you, you mentioned the building and people know what the building is. And so it, it has some uh, notoriety as far as the local crowd. Yeah. And, um, and I think people are, are happy that a, a church is willing to invest the, the labor, the work, mm -hmm. the money into, into preserving that, that facility as well. Building facilities are an interesting part, I feel like, of church life. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, I don't know, you go through your cynical period where you think, oh, the church is not the building. But, you know, to a lot of people, like, having that place where they can come together is so important. So whether it's a storefront or whether... I know a lot of people that they wouldn't be comfortable going into an old, you know, more liturgical-looking church. But it's just, it's fascinating how even just your feeling when it comes to worship can change just by the surroundings that you have around you. And I've... I've, I've heard of so many different types of things of people doing from some people having churches where they don't have a building at all and they don't ever want to have one to people having the storefronts to people renovating old churches and then you guys are doing a church at a bar <laughs> yes so <laughs> how is in the world did you come up with that idea well that that uh i guess that's a good that's a good um summary of how i view ministry is is the the building should facilitate ministry it you know that it doesn't dictate the ministry and so uh, for us we made the choice to go into an old traditional building but we are gonna we are overlaying that building keeping the original beauty with um, with the building but overlaying a real contemporary edge mm -hmm. on the building and also for us uh, the building is not necessarily um, where we are going to do all of our ministry we we recognize that even with the choice that we made to go into that place, there are going to be plenty of people who will never step foot in a church because of the stigmas that they uh, have associated with the church, because of issues that they've had in church in the past, or because they've just never been in, in the church. And mm -hmm. so one of the things that we had talked about uh, pretty early on was the idea that we would not try to build a kind of grand central mega spot for our church, but that we would be infused into the city and actually into the region. We really have a vision for the whole Finger Lakes region. And, and so we, um, we, we have decided that we would take steps toward moving into other locations. And one of our first ones was this uh, bar, which is only a mile from 
our current building, yeah. uh, but we are reaching a whole different group of people, people that uh, frankly just would not have stepped foot into the church, but are coming in. Uh, it's a bar that uh, either they're familiar with or they just were intrigued by the idea, and they come in, and uh, we actually just have a full-blown church service in there. And, uh, and it's been really powerful and really impactful. So now I don't know a lot about Assembly of God. Yeah. Kind of the leadership structure of even bringing something like that up. Do you have just like a council or something like that? Like how did that go? Do you just have a leadership group that's really kind of visionary? Like we're going to do whatever it takes to reach this area for Christ? Or is it something that you kind of had some opposition against at first? Because I know... You know, growing up Southern Baptist, you know, th there's no way that would fly. And then going up United Methodist, people might say, okay, but then you get two different strands of thought. Some being like, I can have some beer while I'm at worship. Or, and then the other strand is like, we got to stay away from alcohol. So you know, right, there's two right, kind of different. Right. Yeah, we, we have, I would say we have both sides of that as well. Right. The, the leadership structure in the Assemblies of God, every church is sovereign. And so what that means is we, we make decisions for ourselves as a church, between mm -hmm. myself as the pastor and the council and then the membership as well. And, um, and what, so my job was not really much of a job in this case, was to cast the vision for that and, um, and see where people were at as far as taking that step. And, and frankly, just about everybody uh, in the church, fortunately for me, was behind uh, what we're doing. You know, some people struggle yeah. with it. Some people, I think, are uneasy and kind of figuring it out as they go. But for the most part, people were really supportive. And um, I think for us, that was just, that was affirmation that, that our heart has been conveyed about how we want to approach ministry. Yeah. As far as uh, leadership above me, people I'm accountable to, uh, you know, I did explain to them what we're doing and how we're approaching it. Um, and And really, for us, the issue is less about alcohol, and I understand, I've heard it from a lot of people, no. but it's about uh, getting into a place where, where uh, frankly, um, the, the, the church has, has had no impact, yeah. and now we are in there having impact, not only in the people who are showing up for church in their lives, but also the, the owner of the bar and, and yeah. his staff as well. So. I think it's probably good to make it clear, even though I was being sarcastic earlier, that people aren't drinking beer during worship and that it is a family-friendly atmosphere. Yeah, well, actually, I, what I will say is this, this, this bar uh, is a unique bar, and, yeah. um, and, there, and, and he has some unique decor in there. And, and frankly, we don't have kids' ministry. We, we, we function much as an outreach, mm -hmm. but um, it's a unique atmosphere in there. And so we, um, we, we really target the people who are, who are um, attending uh, that, you know, are going there on a, on probably on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. So i got to apologize for wherever this thing cut off. <laughs> so I'll figure out where in the world it cut off, and we'll splice it in later. So if we miss out on some of the conversation... That's, I'm sorry to you, I don't know if there's going to be more than three people that listen to this. <laughs> that's all right. But if somebody's right. like, oh no, <laughs> that's the crux on which I was going to build my church. Well then, it's probably good that it's not there. Yeah. Well, what we're going to do at the very least is the last part that I know that we were talking about that probably didn't record was we were talking about um, the traditional Sunday school model moving to a smaller group model. Uh, our church is working with the Sunday school model that's sometimes difficult on people. It's a lot going on on one day. 
and what maybe it was for you in your church maybe transitioning from that or just being in one of those models and then moving to the small group model? I think, you know, originally, originally if I look back, the thought was Sunday school was originally there as an outreach tool and, um, and was very effective in its original days as an outreach tool. And growing up, for, my, for me, it, it was a tremendous discipleship tool, but it wasn't a very effective outreach tool. And so small groups for me became, became that. And uh, I, I don't know that, I think there are very unsuccessful small groups as far as outreach, but I think if you're creative in your small groups and how you approach them, they can, be, they can serve two purposes. Some can be very effective discipleship tools and some can be very effective uh, outreach tools. And so really what it is for me is, is develop, trying to develop a program where uh, a plan of groups where they are, uh, there are some groups that are effective in discipleship, some that are effective in outreach, but all of them in one way or another are helping to build community. And, um, and what moving to a small group model, and if, if, it's, if it's strictly Sunday school for someone, that's fine, but if you move to a small group model, it just opens it up that it's not just Sundays and it's not just limited to church activities. Uh, for us, small groups can also revolve around uh, interests. So uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing uh, this, this coming summer is developing a small group that is a group of motorcycle riders. And so that will be an opportunity for us to have some fun riding, fellowship with one another, but uh, also kind of an outreach tool for those who maybe are interested in, in some hit and miss rides and an opportunity for us to have impact, again, into people's lives that maybe otherwise we wouldn't have impact into their lives. Now, do you ride a I motorcycle? Do. I do. What kind do you got? I have a, right now I have a small uh, little Harley Sportster 1200. And, That's uh, not, well, I mean, it's a smaller it's a Harley. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's a 1200. Yeah. not a little. No, no, bike. that's true. That's true. That's true. So it's you, not super comfortable for a long ride. That's not. It's not. I have a. Uh, I'm. I'm chaplain for a fire and iron group, which is a firefighters group. What? Oh, never mind. It's All right. okay. All right. It's. It's not. So, something just appeared on our recording device. Don't worry about it, people. It's okay. <laughs> So the, uh, this group has a, a national rally, and they have a long ride um, this, this year that, uh, I, well, for me, it'd be long to Kentucky, and um, I'm, I'm debating take, taking that on that little bike, but it's, it's a fun bike to ride locally. I love it. Yeah, my first bike was a, uh, it was a Suzuki, so, you know, for what that's worth, I mean, it was a nice bike, yeah. but one of the bikes I was looking at was a... Uh, Harley Sportster 880 that had been tuned up to a 1200. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what I have. So, yeah. all right, that's enough about that. <laughs> Those of you tuning in for the Motorcycle Podcast, we're sorry that you've heard, had to hear so much about church. Those of you <laughs> tuning in for the Church Podcast, we're sorry you've had to hear so much about motorcycles. So, where are you from? I'm actually from the Syracuse area. I grew up uh, just north of Baldwinsville, which is uh, 20 minutes outside of Syracuse. Went away to school, went away uh, to, uh, uh, to do ministry at other churches, and was also pastor on staff at the church I grew up in for a season. And that's where uh, we were kind of launched out of to go to Auburn to, to, to take on this church. Uh, during, when we were cut out there, um, you had asked about how I transitioned. 
And that's really, that's kind of the story, how I transitioned from Sunday school to small groups. And uh, that's tied in with that story. When I left Baldwinsville, uh, the church in Auburn was really struggling. I uh, had lost their pastor, and the church had dwindled down to about 15 people. And so they were, um, they were ready to either close the doors or find someone to come in and, and uh, help revitalize the church. And uh, God spoke to my wife and my heart, and, uh, and we talked to the, the leadership. And so we, were, we, were, uh, we went there really kind of as a revitalization, but in many ways kind of a church plant. And so, yes, there were, there were core people there, and thankfully they had a heart to see the church move forward and grow and thrive. And so they were very helpful in that. Um, but we didn't have a lot of obstacles as far as, hey, we've always done it this way. Because the, the, way, we've, the way they had always done it was, had led them to almost closing the doors. Mm. And so there was really an openness for us to just try new things, experiment. And, um, and, and thankfully, it's been working out really well. And we've seen growth and we've seen new life in the church. So this well. church from Baldwinsville is the one that's in Auburn now. No, the church is still in Baldwinsville. Uh, they're they're a growing, thriving church. Okay, so, so this they, is a completely separate church from the ones you're at now. Yeah, okay. but the church in Baldwinsville really supported us. We actually left with financial support from them and with people support. Some really? people came over and helped us out. Now, how does a church with 15 people support a pastor when it's struggling like that? They don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, they well, they were they were hurting. Uh, the, the church, with this pastor's departure, the, you know, they saw a good chunk of the people leave, um, but they were a small church to begin with uh, and weren't very strong financially. And so we went uh, with the support of the church in Baldwinsville, Word of Life, and they, um, they helped us tremendously through that first year and enough for the church to, to begin to get its feet on the ground and get mm. some stability. And that's what led me to, earlier we were talking off air, we were talking about uh, chaplaincy. I was working as a uh, chaplain at St. Joe's Hospital in Syracuse. And um, that's what led me to do that, is to, to uh, basically help kind of offset the, the need uh, and demand on the church. I did that as well. And that's been tremendously beneficial for me. Hmm. Yeah. So what's it like being both a chaplain and a pastor at the same time? You know, it's a challenge. Uh, there, it's a challenge for me because I lo absolutely love both. And in many ways, there are a lot of tremendous similarities in, in the ministry, but in many ways, it's very different. Um, the, there are obviously strong pastoral care elements in pastoring a church. I mean, you wouldn't be much of a pastor without pastoral care elements. But there also uh, is a tremendous amount of... Um, leadership and development and, and processes and, and um, administration, things, things that uh, maybe there are bits in the chaplaincy, depending on your role as a chaplain, uh, but for the most part, your role as a chaplain is strictly pastoral care. Hmm. And I think if you are a pastor with a, a lead pastor, a senior pastor with a strict pastoral care mentality, it's going to greatly limit how you pastor the church. So now, were you brought up in the church? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, was, I was baptized Catholic, uh, and my parents um, had a, a, an experience in, in, as in my childhood that led them to step away from that, and um, I grew up 
for the most part um, in in Assembly of God Church in Syracuse, and then one was started in Baldwin's Hill. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so experiencing some sort of call to ministry, you experienced that call in the Assemblies of God Church. Yeah. 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 So how did that take place? Well, you know, I I I always. I'm always intrigued by people who can like, you know, point out, pull out their moment, the grand moment. Mm-hmm. For me, it was it was very different. Uh, for me, it, I think it was a process over time. And I'm not. I, I joke around that I had an awful childhood because I I don't remember everything. My wife has a <laughs> very vivid memory, but I had a tremendous childhood. But for me, it was um, there was just a point as a child where I just knew I was called into ministry and um, everything. As I was, uh, especially in my teenage years, everything as I was moving toward uh, decision making was around the idea that ultimately I'd end up in ministry. So you've been doing ministry all your adult life then? For the most part, yeah. Okay. So other than, have you had any other jobs or any other things that you've done other than ministry sort of jobs? Uh, Yeah, I mean just along with being in ministry and and part-time positions or positions that don't aren't able to just pay that much for Mm -hmm. me ministry of course never has been about money and so you know if god called us somewhere we went and uh and we served and if we needed to you know to to offset uh, support with working elsewhere i did i worked at a a golf course i called myself a golf pro even though uh, it's just because i worked in the pro shop but i i wasn't that much of a golf pro and uh I did some roofing, uh, and of course I've worked in uh, the hospital and uh, and as a as a chaplain. So, all right. So, obviously, your church has a pretty unique vision about it. Where did you go about developing this vision? Was it a book you read? Was it somebody you came into contact with? Maybe you know what was it that really kind of helped you develop your vision for ministry? I all the above over time. I mean, I don't I. I don't know that it was um, one person. Uh, my my uncle uh, was my one of my pastors growing up. I had a pastor that uh, had planted the church. My uncle came back to pastor our church when I was a teenager, and uh, he's had a tremendous impact in my life. And uh, he pastors the church in Baldwinsville, Randy Chis. And um, uh, he and some other local pastors have had, had impact. But I've uh, always been a reader, and I've. Uh, at least since my college days, have always looked looked around to see who's doing what. And so for me, um, you know, the Bill Hybels and the Rick Warrens, who are well-known, mm-hmm. uh, became significantly impactful in my life personally. Um, but I'm always, I, I just am always looking at churches and seeing what they're doing and how they're, how they're reaching their communities and what they're doing to, uh, to see not just growth in their church, but but life change in their people. And uh, um, we are still small. We are still very young in what we're doing. Um, but so far we've seen fruit, and, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful for the people who poured into me. But it's been through books, through podcasts, through um, uh, conferences, through a whole variety of resources that yeah. I try to avail myself to. So you've got your bar church, so that's a way that you're reaching out to different people uh, just straight to the gospel. Are you doing anything kind of justice-oriented, trying to do things to meet uh, physical needs, just not spiritual needs? Yeah, we, um, one of the things that we've, we had done a uh, program for a while 
uh, and I, I keep using the word program even though I, I try to avoid programs, but uh, this, this thing that we had done was um, a ministry that was providing food for people and that was not doing very well at all and so we, we put a stop to that. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that we've developed recently is a strong relationship with uh, an organization called Forsaken Generation. And they are specifically geared toward um, teen homelessness, but uh, with that is an issue of sex trafficking. Mm. And, uh, and so we, we've tied in with them quite a bit. But with that, they, they are based locally, and so um, they've developed a tremendous relationship with um, food, local food pantries. And so we've, we've tried to do things where we are supplying food and blankets and provisions for the food pantries. We're highly involved in uh, some of the outreach events that, that basically we've partnered together with mm -hmm. Lakes Church and with Forsaken Generation. We've really partnered together in some of the outreaches that we're doing. So now, is Forsaken Generation, are they dealing with issues of sex trafficking in America, or are they just, just worldwide? Uh, primarily America. I think they have an international uh, attention, but they, they, um, but it's primarily America that they, uh, that they're focused on. Uh, and they, they have, they're based in Auburn, New York, but they have a strong um, um, group that's down in Jacksonville, Florida, and then several, several other groups throughout, throughout the nation. I think maybe four or five groups that have, have established their own sites and, and raise awareness and try to uh, um, do what they can to alleviate, again, teen, teen homelessness and raise awareness about uh, mm. sex trafficking. Yeah, I know specifically teen homelessness is something that I found to be an issue. We had an issue at the church this last year where, you know, sometimes somebody reaches around that age, 17, 18 years old, despite whether or not, unless they have the correct medical condition or something like that, there's literally nothing you can do and they can make these crazy decisions even though they're, they may not be fit to make those decisions, right. there's nothing you can do about it. You know, yeah. we spent yeah. uh, a week trying to make sure that this person was going to have somewhere to stay. Right. I mean, it's incredible. And, it, you know, so we go down to the area, you've got an 18-year-old who has possibly the mind of a 12, 13-year-old who is standing in line with 40, 50, 60-year-old people with families and stuff trying to find shelter just for that night at the same exact place, and they end up going to a seedy hotel because the homelessness issue, specifically in Rochester, if people are unaware, the homelessness issue is just absolutely terrible. Sure, I don't know what sure. it is in Syracuse. It's a fairly... Syracuse, it's, it's a significant issue as well, and, and even in Auburn where we're at... Um, as small as a, small of a city as we are, there's a there's a dedicated person on staff at the school as a liaison to, for the, the uh, homeless families, mm. and so uh, clearly it's enough of an issue that they had the staff toward it, and um, uh, it's enough of an issue that it's it's caught our attention to keep keep the focus on that. Yeah, if you're specifically in Rochester, if you're a woman or you're a family, it is really hard to find places for. Uh, some sort of shelter. Sure. Uh, women specifically, the only one I'm really know for a hundred percent sure that they have something that's dedicated just for women is uh, I, I'll, I'll figure it out later. Yeah, yeah. But just to, just the fact that I'm having trouble figuring out the exactly. name of it yeah. is the, shows that it's an issue. Yeah, and that's I think that's the same in probably most any city is you know you have a lot of them that are directed toward men. 
and because of the challenges, you can't have women and children yeah. in, in those facilities. And so it's a, it's a tough thing to find a, a place that is specific toward women or women and children. Yeah, at our, our church, we've, we're trying to instill this global worldview, but, uh, you know, there's so many struggles. I, mean, I wanted to start this podcast because there's so many different issues that we're dealing with right here in western New York. You don't have to go very far. To deal with issues like, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't know sex trafficking was a huge issue in America. I know yeah. it is around the world, but just the fact that you've got somewhere based out of Auburn that's dealing with that issue shows that it's, it's a problem. Yeah, it's a tremendous issue. Um, and I wouldn't say we have a tremendous issue with sex trafficking, though we did have a, uh, a couple of local instances where Forsaken Generation got directly involved with some, some uh, issues in our area. Um, it is it is a tremendous issue nationally. Uh, mm. it, we, when I lived in Detroit, that's where our eyes kind of got open to it a little bit. Uh, it was a tremendous issue there, and um, and I just uh, a good friend of mine is also uh, he he runs an organization called Free International, Mike Bartell, and uh, that also deals with uh, sex trafficking. And they um, he posted a, 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 a news clip story about just even with the Super Bowl. Wherever the Super Bowl is going, yeah, uh, they raise I've awareness about, about the sex trafficking issue associated with that, um, just because of the influx of people into a community. It's, yeah. a, it's an amazing thing. But going, let me just mention with the um, uh, social or, or justice issues in general. Um, one of the one of the things going back to our building, one of the things that excites us about this building is there's a tremendous amount of space. Right now, we're just using the space where basically we worship on Sundays, and uh, and there's some side rooms that we can use to facilitate our, our kids' ministries. Um, but there's a basement to this facility that is just tremendous with an mm. incredible kitchen, uh, incredible space that we, over time, plan to renovate. And that's really what we hope to, to see out of that is, uh, is growth of our children's ministries, uh, but also some tremendous outreach areas. And one of the things we've talked about is is some food programs, some things where we would feed people. But going back to your question about community, that it's not just uh, where we feed them and, and send them off on their way, uh, but our goal would be to feed them and really develop relationships yeah. and really try to pour into these folks. Now, of course, you know there are, there are challenges with that. People kind of get into a mentality, it is really hard to see change. But, you know, we're the church, and we believe that if Christ gets involved in, into the mix, into their lives, that there can be incredible change. And so our goal is is to eventually see where we're, we're providing food and clothing and maybe facilitating finding shelter if they need that, uh, but that we're also building relationship and, and maybe uh, offering classes where they can get some tools and, and, and work toward either a job or, or, or support or wh whatever they would need, We'd, we would try to individualize it. It's a long ways ahead. I mean, it's a long-term goal for us, but really we feel like if we are just having church on a Sunday morning, I believe in the church. I believe in worship mm -hmm. together. I think it's a powerful thing. I think it's important, but I think if we end there as the church, I think we're falling short. Yeah, and I'm sure all of the United Methodists that hear this or know about your church will be very happy to know that the kitchen is still going to be used. They're, they're, we're, they're quite well known for, for eating. Okay, so one of the things that I really want to ask you is you've got a lot going on. You're a chaplain, you're a pastor, you've got all these things. 
how do you find rest? Because that's something I find a lot of pastors have issues with, is finding a time to renew themselves and not get themselves completely burnt out. I think, I think my wife might have a very different answer <laughs> about this than, than I do. Um, no, I think, truth be told, I think it's a challenge at times, um, but we were just talking about this the other day, and, and that is you, you work hard and then you play hard and, or rest hard, <laughs> whatever, whatever you do. And so for us, there are seasons where we recognize that it is really grueling, it is tough, it's difficult, but then you take the time you need to rest. And so we, we have not always done very well about building that in, um, but sometimes that's a weekly thing where you're building at least a time in the week where you're just connecting with family and resting. Um, and then there are times where we just try to get away and uh, spend that time together. This past week was my wife's birthday, and so I took her out, and my parents watched the kids, and, and uh, we just had a nice, nice relaxing time together. Um, but I think for me, uh, I learned pretty early in ministry that, that that's absolutely necessary. I, mm -hmm. I overdo it. I tend to overdo it a little bit, but, um, but I just I try to build it in either to my regular schedule or at least a time where there's a break. So you're trying to make sure that you have like specific time schedule, like you write it into a day planner like you would like a meeting to yeah. have that kind of rest. Because that, yeah. that's what I, I find is if you're not real specific on this, that you just get overwhelmed. It's like now you're teaching two, three studies, you got this going on. You're, you're finding times to make meetings for people when it works for them and you find little time for yourself. Absolutely, and that's always the challenge. And uh, in this day, I mean, I've, I've got my iPad here, my iPhone, and my computers at home, and it's very easy. I've got three boys, uh, and it's very easy to be, you know, hanging out, spending some quality time with them, and pull out the phone and just start checking yeah. some emails or, or, or uh, writing something up, whatever the case would be. And uh, you, it's, it's, it's something you have to guard against. It's really difficult. Being but, present is not always the easiest thing to that's do right. anymore. And that, that's one of the first things that, you know, I started out, uh, I graduated college pretty early. And so one of the first things I got was just kind of this head-on collision with people who are older. It's like, it's like you got to pay attention to somebody when, when they're talking to you. Don't be paying attention to that. That's still something that's so hard because you've got so many distractions on. Yeah. You know, yeah. we have TVs in the churches and you got your cell phone, you got your iPad. There's so many things that are... Yeah, when, when, it, comes to, when it comes to my phone, I, I tend to be a little old school. Um, I, don't, I don't do well with the transition that's happening. You know, if I'm in a conversation like this and my phone rings... If I, if I know that there's somebody who may be trying to get in touch with me for mm -hmm. something, if in particular my wife, uh, then I'll take a look at it and see. But generally, if I'm in a conversation, my phone oh. gets ignored and I'm not texting. Uh, and part of that is because I can't text and talk at the same time. <laughs> and, but part of it is also because I just, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I like to focus on yeah. the person I'm, I'm with. Yeah, that's one of the things I really appreciate the most that my parents did is that dinner time... Well, until we were about 16. TVs are off. You yeah. don't answer the phone during dinner unless yeah. you know grandma or grandpa or somebody is supposed to be calling because That's right. it's some kind of special event. But now, you know, it's so hard to There's get anybody to not sit there. And I, I walk into a restaurant, everybody's sitting there texting, looking at their phones and saying, I, I'm just as guilty oh, as sometimes. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You yeah. know, because oftentimes I don't go out to eat with a lot of people that, isn't, that aren't my wife. And I'm with my wife so often that we 
grow so comfortable with each other sometimes we're just in there checking out the phone it's like oh hey look at this little that's article right. that's right it's like oh look at this game i figured out it's just so many distractions that sometimes yeah. you just look up and you're like oh yeah i'm with this person i'm married to this person this is weird that's there's right. somebody else in this room other than myself yeah yeah it's a bad sign when you start uh emailing or instant messaging each other from the, the other side of the couch oh i've never yeah. done that but yeah, thank, yeah, thank, yeah. Thank, thank goodness i have not done that <laughs> We, uh, you know, for me, it's interesting. We, we just started a uh, twenty-one day. Uh, we're joining in with a thing called Awakening, and it's a twenty-one day prayer and fast, and just a time of just really, uh, per, you know, getting focused on personal devotion, reconnecting, realigning with God, and um, and we're just a couple days into that. And uh, I, I pulled out my phone the other night, uh, and I was doing some email, and mm-hmm. my my eight-year-old says to me. So dad, maybe uh, maybe for the the fast you should give up uh, your your phone. Yikes! <laughs> that's so when it just hurts. That's that's it's when like you say, all right, I'm pulling this thing it. out too much. Yeah, time to put oh, the phone away. Goodness yeah. gracious! Yeah. yeah, I hear that. Yeah, I, I know. Oh, yeah, that that would stab at me. And here's another thing: as as ministers, oftentimes we have what we call being called. And so sometimes, a lot of times, our ministry takes us somewhere that we don't expect us to go. Uh, yeah. I grew up in Arkansas. I'm now way up into western New York, over a thousand miles away from all my friends and family and everything like that. So one of the things I find sometimes uh, as a pastor is difficult is maintaining friendships or getting new friends. Uh, people always say to me, it's like, well, there's tons of people at the church. It's, it's completely different when you're a pastor and there's an expectation of how you should respond to people in the church. And so having meaningful friendships outside of church is oftentimes really difficult because most of your time is consumed with spending time with people who are involved with that church or ministry. How how do you deal with that issue? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and I th- I think um, it's hard to understand if you're not in that role the that there are still boundaries that will always be in a relationship with somebody mm-hmm. in the church, whether you want to or not. It's it's just something that is there. Uh, for me, uh, I've I've always invested a lot into relationships, and so. Where I've where I've been in my life, I've invested into relationships that have now carried on mm-hmm. to to today. So, for me, it's not always people that are always right around the corner, but mm-hmm. there are people that are either a phone call or an email or a short drive away. If I need to, if I needed to connect with them, I absolutely could. Um, I think for me also, uh, I have a unique. Well, maybe maybe not too unique, but I, I'm very close with my wife, and we have a very special relationship, mm-hmm. and so we glean a lot from that. Uh, but we also uh, are fortunate enough to have family in the area uh, that we can connect with and spend some time with. Um, and for me personally, she has had she's maintained some friendships that she's been able to stay really well connected to. And for me, uh, I've been able to invest into relationships outside the church as well within the community. And so, uh, like I mentioned, I'm the um, chaplain for this this group, but I'm the chaplain for the fire department. And uh, just try to stay involved with the community. And yeah. and, um, and so I find fruit, I find benefit from those relationships. But as far as like the deep relationships where you would really have somebody speak into your life, it's been people over the years that I've, I've built those relationships up that are solid and they're not going anywhere. All right, the last question I want to ask, and this is what I'm hoping to have as the last question, 
for everyone is what is your dream or what would you like to see happen in Western New York? Western New York is famous for being the burnt over district because so many revivals and everything broke out. It's been quite a while. What, yeah. is, what is your dream? What is your hope for Western New York? Well, I, I, I believe, and, and I'm going to steal this, I think it's from Bill Hybels, that the local church is the hope of the world. And uh, I believe that when God gets a hold of people's lives and begins to transform them and change them, uh, that um, that nothing nothing will hold them back. And so I know that uh, it's not just the church that uh, that Western New York struggles. It's not just in in the realm of church, but it's just society in general. You know, it's just a uh, a hurting area. And so for me. Uh, what I would say is my hope is that the church, that Christ would be able to infuse into people's lives and, and move into people's lives, that they would see transformation, that they would see change, and that they would truly have a hope uh, for their future. And not just their economic future or their family future, but for their eternal future, eternal peace of mind. And uh, for me, the church, like you said, has kind of been burnt out uh, in, in western New York. And we are known in the northeast in general as kind of a dead church, and uh, and that's where I would love to see uh, just brand new life infused into the church of, of Western New York. All right, so the last thing is if anybody wants to learn more about your churches, get in touch with you, know more about the things that you're doing, they say, hey, this was an interesting person, maybe you want to know more about them, how could they get a hold of you? They could go to uh, the church in particular, lakeschurch.com, L-A-K-E-S church.com, uh, for me personally, uh, you could uh, follow me on Twitter at Joshua, and my last name is C-Z-Y-Z, at Joshua Chiz, and then uh, you could search me with the same, same name on Facebook if you wanted to, and uh, those are all good ways to get in touch with me. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you. See you later.